Kevin Costner movie from the 80s where he becomes convinced that if he builds a baseball diamond in his wife's Iowa cornfield, the disgraced 1919 Chicago Black Sox will come back from the dead and play baseball with him. So he does, risking financial ruin for himself and his family, and sure enough, there's Shoeless Joe Jackson calling his teammates out from the rows of corn. Even if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you have surely heard the phrase, if you build it, he will come, which Field of Dreams inserted into the national lexicon overnight. We didn't have the word meme back then, but it was one, and is one. Anyway, he builds it. They come. Everybody has a nice time touching grass and playing ball, and then some other stuff happens. When this film came out, I was a quiet, solitary nine-year-old whose love of baseball was undiminished by the fact that I was just awful at it. And let me tell you, this was my favorite movie. I watched it all the time. I wouldn't understand what a 60s radical or an unfulfilled dream or an irreconcilable lifelong regret was for some years, but something about it just spoke to me. I mean, he loved baseball, and I loved baseball. Also, I didn't see much of my dad back then, and this was a story about a guy who misses his absent father, but I suspect the big draw may just have been the implication that you can daydream your way into having a bunch of friends around. I can see how that kind of story might appeal to a kid with endless daydreams and not so many friends. Anyway, I haven't seen it in decades. I can't tell you if it's actually good or not, though I admit, hearing myself describe it to you just now, it does not sound promising. But the thing is, us board gamers, the vast majority of us that I've met anyway, we act on this principle. We believe in our hearts that if we build it, they will come. We hear about a new game and immediately see the people we would play it with and the sort of evening we'd be having together, a big raucous party for a clever little party game or an intimate gathering of like-minded strategists for a sprawling 4X simulation of civilizational conflict. This family-weight narrative fantasy adventure would be so perfect for our bookworm nieces and that clever twist on trick-taking might be just the thing to distract our card shark in-laws from the fact that they still don't have any grandchildren. As if all we need to do is buy those games, and the people we want to play them with will suddenly materialize, like ghostly apparitions around our kitchen table. Also, in this scenario, the kitchen table isn't piled high with junk mail and unpaid bills, and we don't have anything in particular going on that evening, we just all hang out, play a game. evidence to support this sweeping generalization about the inner lives of tabletop gamers? Well, I don't really have any, but you probably do. Just scroll on back through your email. See how many board games you bought during the pandemic. Mm, no. How many Kickstarters you backed? <laughs> how many acquisitive impulses you acted on when you didn't have anyone in particular to play games with? You were cooped up in your home, maybe getting into solo games? Maybe, if you were lucky, gaming through the uncertainty with a partner or roommate or child? But look at the games you bought. Were they the sort of games your roommate will put up with? Does anyone think they solo well? <laughs> and did you actually play them all? Some of you did. Some of you are as strategic and practical when buying games as you are when playing them. But a lot of you are like me and my buddy Alba. Hi, Alba. Hi. <laughs> 
very hard for me not to groan throughout that entire last oh, well, that 10 seconds. not the response I'm going for. I, I meant because I felt like I was being spied upon. <laughs> I, I, think it's, I think it's not just us. We're basing this on the premise that it's not just us. We will see. Because I think that these people, like us, accumulated comically large and unambiguously aspirational collections of games to enjoy at some unspecified future date, <laughs> and then watched as astral projections of our friends and family gathered around our tables to play them. Oof. Like Ray Kinsella, Obeying voices in the cornfields, I couldn't explain my behavior at that time, and even now I'm not, like, excited to talk about it. This was a time when my income as a freelancer was unsteady, uncertain, and the prudent move would have been to save any discretionary funds for a rainy day. <laughs> even more preposterously, at <laughs> the moment when all my D&D games moved online, I started buying physical miniatures and terrain, which I had never used for our in-person adventures. I was a theater of the mind guy, spinning fantastical tales of improbable places with words alone. What did I need with all these toys? I've come to see these purchases as a uniquely American form of prayer, each one an expression of an increasingly desperate longing to be with the people I loved in physical space, enjoying one another's company, frittering away unstructured, unmediated time on some frivolous bullshit just for the fun of it. Like tossing pennies into a wishing well, except tossing credit cards into the internet. If you buy it, they will come. The trouble is, in the Kennan's actual-life extended non-cinematic universe, this particular form of manifesting is yet to produce much in the way of concrete results. What I did manifest was an enormous library of board games, a number of which I still haven't played, and all of which would soon thereafter have to be loaded onto a truck and carted across the continent. But a regular game group, endless unspoken for hours with my favorite people, not so much. So, okay, it didn't work for me. But will it work for you? <laughs> Much as I'd like to answer that question, you wouldn't want me to spoil this episode of the Punchboard Cathedral podcast where we are discussing games we didn't necessarily need. <laughs> I'm Kenan, and joining me as always for this interstate struggle session is my comrade in cube pushing, Alva. How's it going, bud? Hi. Yeah. Uh, it's going okay. I'm feeling a little nervous. That intro <laughs> is making me sweat. <laughs> okay, it's not really a struggle session. That was just a joke. There's no judgment and absolutely no accountability here. We're, we're all just muddling through it, figuring it out as we go. <sighs> okay, okay, okay. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, all right. Let's lighten the mood. Have you concocted some sort of game for us to kick things off? Yes, as ever, yes. we have a holiday special. Oh, yes. holiday special? Yes, I mean, I that. thought, like, you know, by the time people are listening to this, we'll probably actually be past the holidays. But even still, maybe you're not ready to let go. Mm -mm. So we have three games for you to decide which is the real game. We should give this a, a name. You guys help us. If you have a name for this segment, uh, let us know. Mm. 
But until then. A fake gamer comes to New York. (laughs) Yes, it could be that. Let's see. We'll let the people decide on this one. All right. Okay, Kenan, I'm going to present you with three games, and you're going to tell me which of these games is real. Game number one. No Limit Texas Dreidel. I'm going to try not to laugh through this. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you just say No Limit Texas Dreidel? Yes, I did. Okay. Yes, okay. I did. I told you it was going to be holiday related. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. No Limit Texas Dreidel. Yes. Straight face. Reindeer Poker. Mm-hmm. Santa's Speedy Sleigh Bell Slap. Okay, I'm going to need you to like give me a reading of each of these titles, please. Oh, I feel like for this one, because it's holiday, it's like I wish I had sound effects, you know? You, you're the soundboard. What do you mean you wish you had sound effects? <laughs> <laughs> what are you here for? Okay. Oh, dreidel, 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 I made it out of clay. And then I played No Limit Texas Dreidel. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we have... Reindeer poker. Get your reindeers. Get your poker. Get your sleighs. Everybody pull up and uh, do whatever you do in poker. (laughs) But with reindeer. (laughs) Okay. And finally, Santa's speedy sleigh bell slap. And I think we all know what the sound effect for that is. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> is it like on Twitter when people put the slap emoji between every word? Is it like, ho, 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 And it means Santa's yelling at you for doing something wrong on the internet. I, uh, once again, I, I think that the least delightful of these is the real one. I think the real one is a reindeer poker. Really? It's not. I'm so excited now to know that one of those other two games exists. One of those other two games exists. All right, so it's either Texas Dreidel yeah. or Santa. All right, Santa Slap is the one that exists. No, you're kidding me. I'm not kidding. You. I have never been happier to be wrong in my entire life. It says players get a couple of dreidels in the hole, not seen by other players, and together with three more communal dreidels, bet chocolate guilt against other players that they have the best five dreidel combination. So it's kind of like Yahtzee and dreidels and poker. Oh like, yeah, you're using dreidels as the dice. And you're using gelt as the chips. Well yeah, I mean you always use gelt as the chips. That's <laughs> the standard dreidel. Well I gotta tell you though, you should also know that um, No Limit Texas Dreidel came out in 2007 and it has a 7.4 on BGG, <laughs> but it only has six ratings, so six people really, really loved it. Actually that's brutal, because <laughs> if it only has six ratings and it has a 7.4 that means like two of this person's closest relations here hated his game or her game <laughs> yeah probably i am going to play that game if i can't find it i'm gonna download the rule book i can't wait i can't wait to teach my siblings no limit texas dreidel this is a fun fact the standard edition is for two to four players but the deluxe edition has dreidels for up to eight well yeah two to four players what kind of sad ass hanukkah is that that you've only got two to four players yeah up to eight that's oh geez I feel like this game should be built on the same principle as every high holy day meal when you should be able to feed three times as many people as are showing up. Like this game should support three times as many people as are going to play it. Yeah, they would probably be open to that feedback. I already have a note for the designer, frankly, and I haven't even played the game yet. Well, there you go. That's the game. Delightful. Delightful. I love that. Mm
All right, we just got a couple of loose threads today. Um, I've gotten a bunch of very thoughtful and heartfelt messages in response to last week's intro. Thank you for sitting through it. And it means a lot to me to know that some of you have found it resonant or helpful in some way. And, you know, tough time of year for a lot of people. So let me restate the premise much more succinctly. Um, let's all try to remember to take care of ourselves and one another. Also, we have heard from a bunch of you about how much you like Sam, which of course you do. We like him too. Of course you do. Of course you do. Come on. Yeah. He'll be back. All right, my friend, let me ask you something. Okay. Have you mm. in your life ever <laughs> bought a game which, upon further reflection, you realized you didn't totally 100% need to own? Nope. No, me neither. That's it. End of episode. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, Kenan. <laughs> so the answer is obviously yes. Yeah, yeah. There are many games that fall under that category that I haven't played. Yeah. And it's still there, and I've had it there for however long. Right. And if I haven't played it yet, maybe I'm not going to. And maybe I'm not going to. Yeah. But since we put down the parameter that it's like, it has to be something that we did actually play. So that knocked out a lot of stuff from the category for me. Listeners, this is how much we love you. We we uh, didn't want to make you suffer through us expounding on games we hadn't played. Yeah, exactly. Because so, it's like, what's the point? We, it's just going to be a regret fest that's like, I'm just going to list things, but not actually right. have much to say about them right. so the first one for me in this category uh i'm a little on the fence even as i say this um but it is one that everybody knows and loves azul mm. og azul mm -hmm. i actually avoided it for a really long time because and this mm. will shock everyone to hear i did not like the art <laughs> did you not like the like the production or you just didn't like like the cover uh, like i would always see the cover you know online or wherever and i just was like it's so garish it feels like a really like cartoony interpretation of something that's really beautiful in real life and mm -hmm. it just bothered me mm -hmm. it, you know it just felt like it was like not an accurate rendition i actually thought in person that it was much more pleasing than i expected like when i was avoiding it for so long i just seriously i don't know what to tell you i would just always find it almost repulsive because hmm. <laughs> i was just like it's too cartoony and and like azulejos these tiles are so beautiful in real life mm. but actually in person one of the pros one of the things that i think actually that it does live up to is the fact that you know the tiles the resin tiles that are in azul they're just so fun to clank around and they are yeah. really nice like i mean it's yeah. not a perfect tile like you would really use in real life well you wouldn't want to play that game with ceramic tiles right Precisely. it wouldn't last very yeah, long it wouldn't last very long it wouldn't work uh -huh. but i think for an application for the game actually i was like you know what this is kind of nice uh -huh. after all this preamble of like oh yeah i was avoiding it it was ugly to yeah. me whatever i bought it because everybody will relate to the fact that covid we were lonely it was sad yeah. it was a difficult time we didn't see friends family anybody for the longest longest time so my family was coming to visit me in new york my parents my sister her husband her daughter yeah. my sister and her husband used to live in new york but they moved right before covid oh god not not one of those horrible people who moves to california yes they did they're your neighbors Awful. so they live Awful. out in la who would do something like yeah, that exactly <laughs> and so it was hard because you know like not only did all this happen but it was also like my sister we had lived in the same city for so long yeah. she yep. just had a baby like there were so many life changes 
And so everybody was coming to New York for the first time since COVID. And I just, I think I was so full of anticipation and desire to make it like a really magical time Mm -hmm. that I was like on the hunt for like the perfect gateway game that I was like, everyone's going to be able to play it. Everyone's going to love it. I mean, I could like picture already in my mind the view of the table and we're all going to be sitting there and it's going to be so fun and reminiscing and laughing. And this is what I'm talking about. You you see it. You see, you hear about the game and you see it. Yes. I felt it. I felt it. You know? Yeah. I don't know that any box can live up to that. So I'll just put that Mm. out there. I mean, not to say Mm -hmm. that there's not great games, but rather when you're coming into something, any experience, I think with that level of anticipation and romanticism for like what you're going to experience together and how it's going to be the thing that that brings everyone back to the place that you guys have been missing for so long. It's like, can Azul really deliver upon that? I don't know that Azul itself is going to deliver upon that. That's going to be about other stuff. You know, it's a tile-laying game. And as I said, it's Mm -hmm. based on these Azulejos, these like, uh, I think it's actually Portuguese tile-laying that that it's about. Um, I think another thing that really drew me to it is because like in Mexico, we also have Mm -hmm. a long tradition of like ceramic tiles. And um, so I think I felt also kind of like a little bit of a tangential connection sort of emotionally about that yeah now of course the theme in the game to me is like basically non-existent Non-existent. yeah it is not as evidenced by the fact that they were like uh same game but it's about chocolate yeah yes exactly here's the kicker Mm. after all this anticipation we never got to play the game Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we never Mm -hmm. even got a chance to play the game why like i said my sister had a young daughter you know she's coming from the west coast so like they're having a time zone issues with getting everybody on the schedule so by the time the trip was over like there just weren't nights that we were getting to spend together to play a game it wasn't like anyone poo-pooed azul it's like we just didn't get those opportunities to even have a game night, you know? Absolutely. My first time seeing my family after the worst of the pandemic, I had to go to sleep after like two hours. I was exhausted. I just hadn't been that social and like spent that much time interacting with people. Like everything was different yeah, and weird. I definitely understand that. We had all these um, ideas about, well, all the things we were going to fit in. And as always, it, it just didn't happen. Um, so Fast forward, you know, I, I have played Azul, so it's not on an, an open ba- box. But yeah, I've only played it at two players. I played it with my husband and I've also played it on BGA with people. Um, one of the things that people often complain about or I've learned that often people often complain about is how kind of mean it can be or that you can hate draft the tiles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, interestingly enough, that isn't even really what bothered me about the game ultimately. Like I, mm-hmm. I kind of see, you know, you can definitely go that route. But it doesn't feel to me mean, particularly. It, I have, mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it foils your plans, but it's such a short game. It doesn't. It doesn't exactly, feel like that. it doesn't feel particularly mean. I, in my opinion, yeah. What shot it in the foot for me is I. I just felt like every play is kind of samey. Mm-hmm. Like you're always kind of going for the same thing. I mean, you're always trying to get you know the various colors and make your patterns and whatnot and try to score the vertical and the horizontal and maybe black out the colors. Yeah. And there's just limited control in terms of like any interesting options, I think. Yeah. You know, you can't really do that much. And of course, that's what makes it accessible. That's what makes it so that anybody can really sit down and play. And I think with when it comes to me and my husband, like 
it's almost a little too simple for us. Yeah. Actually, there's two reasons I'm still a little bit on the fence about whether I'm like definitely getting rid of it or not. One, mm-hmm. I've played it solo. I actually, um, so Board Game Dave online, he had done a solo run through and I was like, you know what? I am having trouble getting this to the table. I watched his video and then he kind of directed me to the Ricky Royal solo rules who does a lot of awesome solo rules. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is actually kind of a nice game solo. Like, mm. it's just a kind of meditative kind of, I mean, mm-hmm, there's not mm-hmm. much, you're just trying to beat your own score. But there's something nice, especially because I think it has that tactility that you're like, yeah. huh, it's a nice little thing I could be doing, having my coffee, having my evening, anything, you know, wind down. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is I still think there's a part of me holding out hope that I will get that night with my family. Mm. You know, I as much as I already had the strikeout, mm-hmm. and it was an epic strikeout, <laughs> mm-hmm. as much as that happened, there's like a little flame in my heart that's like, well, we might, though. We might. Would you believe, Elva, that this game has been in my out pile for like six months, but it hasn't actually left yet? You know, I believe it. For the exact same reason. Yeah. The exact same reason. Tell me. I have a hot take about Azul. Okay. It looks like a nice two-player game, right? It's got that abstract strategy. Yes. It's got that the look of a good two-player game. And if you go on Board Game Geek, fully 60-something percent of, of people think that it is best at two players. Hmm, interesting. I think it is not best at two players. I think that at two players, it is basically a game of eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Yeah. Especially in the later rounds when, like, you know what you have to do and what everyone else has to do. And as you said, like, the decision space has contracted mightily. You can look at the tiles there, and if you want to do, like, a small amount of math, you can go... I'm going to take this. They're going to take this. I'm going to take this. They're going to take this. I'm going to take this. And you know exactly what's going to happen. And then you just play it out. Mm -hmm. If you have four players, you probably don't know what everyone's going to do. And and there's still some mystery and some suspense. At two, there's only suspense if you sort of actively go, I'm not going to look at the board. Right. (laughs) I'm not going to look and see what my opponent is obviously going to take. Which you obviously are though. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you. So like you said, at two players in particular, it's pretty samey. I don't dislike it, but it's like, yeah, all right, we've played this. We're not really going to choose to pull this one out, Mm -hmm. but it is a nice game for groups and especially groups of non-gamers. I think it's very unintimidating and it's also very appealing, right? Because it has that delightful kind of like Portuguese tile-based candy look. Exactly. You know? Yes, like, it is very candy-like. As, as though you could eat the tiles. Yes, it's like if Starburst and tiles merge. Totally. And outside of the one occasion that I talked about last week where <laughs> a relationship melted down during the game, it's gone over well, you know? And so I'm always like, I don't know, should I not get rid of this? And I think we probably both should get rid of it because the next time we get that chance, there's going to be a different game. Yeah. We probably already is. It probably already is far enough down the list that like. Yep, I agree. And yeah. so that's it. That's Azul. Azul is on the, uh, as you say, is will it stay or will it go pile? And yeah. I... I say right now that I kind of regret it, but I also feel conflicted. I get that one. I get that one. I think that there are a lot of games like that that like we got for a particular occasion Mm -hmm. and that that occasion didn't manifest. Yep. And letting go of the game also means letting go of this dream occasion that you have in your head, right? And that's yes. getting rid of the game is easy. We have plenty of games, but getting rid of sort of accepting that this fun thing you were imagining with with the people you love is not going to happen is actually sort of difficult. Yes. The thing to try to remember, I guess, is just that like, they're not actually tied to one another. Mm. Mm. (laughs) You know, they feel like they are, but they're not really. (gasps) Okay. I'm going to try telling (laughs) myself that. (laughs) 
Okay, I was in the hot seat. Your turn. All What's right. your first game? All right, all right, all right. Imagine, if you will, this might be tough, but try to imagine that the world is ending. Oh, God, I thought we were going somewhere happy. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> The way you started that was so like, oh, close your yeah. eyes. Like, you know, like, oh, okay, great. I'm going into a fantasy world. <laughs> Maybe whether or not this is a happy thing is in the eye of the beholder. Okay? Oh, okay. The world is ending. It's a done deal. Can't be avoided. Too late to buy any more carbon offsets. <laughs> our, our time here is done. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but within the next five or six rounds. Okay. <laughs> and then the question is, what would you do with the time you have left? Of course, like, would you spend it with the people you love? Would you throw caution to the wind and find some sort of ongoing bacchanal? Ooh. Yeah. Well, no judgments here. <laughs> like I said, no judgments, no accountability. Um, and the world isn't even ending. Uh, well, <laughs> okay. Or would you say to yourself, I'm going to die anyway. I better go out and die in the most glorious way possible. I'm going to go out and die in a manner that garners me the greatest amount of favor in the eyes of Odin, the Allfather. Mm. Because if that's how you would respond to the situation, then you might be interested in a little game called Blood Rage. Oh, yeah. whoa, okay. Blood Rage is a medium weight, dudes on a map, area control game, ostensibly for two to four players, plays in an hour or two. Hmm. You are going to control a Viking clan that is uh, competing with the other Viking clans to die in the most glorious manner possible before <laughs> Ragnarok. Okay. Not only is Ragnarok coming, Ragnarok is coming three times because each time the world ends, it then begins anew. So you will pillage and plunder your way through three ages, each time meeting an ever more spectacular and fiery doom for yourself and your clan. Whoa. Despite what some snobby Brits may tell you, <laughs> This game rips. It is awesome. It is like a heavy metal guitar solo of a game. The best comparison I can think of is it's sort of like WWE wrestling in game form. It is bombastic. It has that kind of humor. It has that kind of wild swinging plot twists like you're going to be entering into a battle and the battles are almost entirely deterministic. So you're like, I'm going to take over this region that you're in. And I come here with my whole army and my army includes not just my Viking clan, but the ice troll in our employ and the frost giant and some sort of dark elf. And we're all going to go and we are going to mess you up. There's no dice rolling or anything, but the reason you don't actually know what's going to happen in this combat is that at the beginning of each of these rounds, you're drafting cards Stack of cards, choosing one, passing them to your left. And the cards all have either like combat abilities or uh, they let you, you know, draft monsters into your army or pursue different kind of quests. There's all these different ways to upgrade your clan and make it more powerful. So all of the cards are awesome and all of the cards are kind of game breaking. And so you're like, well, I want this one. But then if I don't take that one, I'm going to let my buddy to my left. Let's let's call my buddies Keith and Dale. I'm going to let <laughs> Keith and Dale get all of the awesome cards. By the time the cards got back to you, some of the ones you saw last time were missing. So somebody's got them and you know what cards you have and you have guesses about what cards other people have and they're going to change your strength in combat, some of them. Mm. So you're like, look at this enormous army I'm pulling in. I'm going to crush you. And maybe they have a card that is modeled after the trickster god Loki that allows them to win by losing or something like that. 
and it just completely turns the tables. Again, much like professional wrestling, it's got these wild plot twists that are essentially like, what's that? Do I hear Frigga's music playing? You know, and plot twist enters the arena kind of thing. <laughs> As the look of like those 80s heavy metal magazines, yes. you know, we're talking like oh, yes. dudes with big beards and giant axes, warrior babes with chainmail bikinis, Viking ships, ice trolls, frost giants, Norse myth goodness, you mm-hmm. know, through that kind of uh, 70s fantasy lens. So you already know, like anyone listening already knows if this is interesting to you or not. <laughs> it is very much what it is. It is it's like this big, bombastic, kind of goofy, very funny, actually, Viking combat game that is surprisingly clever, surprisingly tactical and strategic. Mm. It is really a very interesting game. I was someone who was not interested in this, mm. but it happens to be one of my buddy Dale's favorite games. Now, Dale, first of all, looks sort of like a Viking. (laughs) Yes, he does. I've met him. (laughs) Second of all, you know, when I was young, we used to go to Dale's house to watch Monday Night Raw, the wrestling show. Let me tell you, I have never watched wrestling in my life, not at Dale's house. I have no interest (laughs) in wrestling whatsoever, but doing dumb shit with my friends, I have lots of interest in. So we go over and watch wrestling. And that kind of performance of bombast of grandiosity dale loves that and he always like brings it to a game of blood rage and man it is so much fun it is just so much fun it's got like this fascinating drafting mechanism so that's sort of where you do strategy is in the drafting at the beginning of each round this really interesting tactical combat where you sort of think you know what the math is for each combat but you're not quite sure what card someone else is holding so it's a little bit like a traditional card game in that way like a hand of poker like you think you've got something unbeatable but it could be that someone's got a trump card or whatever i am mixing my metaphors because i don't know any card games (laughs) i never got this game because we always would play it at dale's house and then i saw it late last year on sale and i was like well i don't need that game i play that game at dale's house and then i remembered that i was moving to california in the very near future dale's house anymore i'm not gonna be at dale's house anymore and i love this game and so I was like, well, this is a good deal, and I don't want to never play Blood Rage again, so I guess I'm going to get this game. I tell you how many times I have played this in the year <laughs> since I moved to California. I have a guess. Your guess is correct. It's zero. <laughs> so I don't regret buying this game because I don't like the game. I do like the game, but what I wanted, and this is the thing that like always gets confused in my head, when I like saw that sale and was like, oh, I- I'm so sad about not playing Blood Rage anymore. Mm-hmm. I was sad that I wasn't going to see my buddies anymore, you know, that they weren't going to be a train ride away anymore. Yeah. And that's not a thing you can do anything about. And so I did something about the thing I could do something about, which was not having the game. Mm-hmm. This game isn't really very good at two players because that drafting mechanism is much more interesting if you don't know who has the other cards. Mm. It doesn't really sing that way. So, you know, Kate and I aren't just going to play it by ourselves. And it's a little too heavy for any of our, like, our lovely normie friends out here. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, it's not going to happen. And what I wanted you know was actually not this game it was more time with my dudes yeah and so i've got this game that i like very much that i am not gonna play so didn't necessarily need and it. now you are experiencing blood rage <laughs> i'm experiencing blood regret oh i'm experiencing blood melancholy is that a thing <laughs> yes i would make a terrible viking as it turns out <laughs> no no <laughs> you were for another time it is so true <laughs> Well, I I really feel that. I think that that's a super relatable thing. And and it's like as you were talking about it, I felt it too. I was just like, "Oh, but 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 what about Dale? Like 
We want to go to Dale's house. Oh, man. Listen, if you ever get the opportunity to go to Dale's house and play Blood Rage, you should take it. It is awesome. It is a great time. I, I believe it. I can already picture it in my mind. Oh, no. Keep me away from computers. I might just buy Blood Rage. <laughs> Also, I have to say, I have to get this off my chest, but I, every time you're saying blood rage, I really just hear it like, blood rage. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> that is correct. I have been saying it wrong this entire time. It is that. It's the whole game has the feeling of somebody saying blood rage in that voice. It is unapologetically over the top. Yeah, super metal, like, blood rage. Yes. Yeah, you can hear the soundtrack, whether or not you're listening to it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you got a second one for us? I have a second one. Um, this one is a little bit harder to talk about. Uh-oh. No, not like <laughs> emotionally. Don't worry. I'm going to give everyone a break. Everyone like release the tension in your muscles, do a little stretch. All right, we're going to give you a break now. Imagine it's the end of the world. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no. Everyone take a deep breath and picture in your mind a beautiful Euro game about Charles Darwin. And no, it is not the one that you're actually picturing. Record scratch. There are too many games about Darwin. There's too many games about Darwin. So many games about Darwin. So this game is a little bit older game. It's called On the Origin of Species. Mm. So it's not Darwin's Journey, which most recently came out and has been heavily lauded and everyone loves. It's also not In the Footsteps of Darwin, which is the Sorry We're French kind of lighter Mm -hmm. family Mm -hmm. game, which incidentally, I... This may be this may be my next episode. We'll see. I bought that one to share with my family when I go see them. I bet everything will turn out different this time. Yeah, totally. It's like, so I definitely learned my lesson, folks. And I definitely was not picturing a beautiful romantic time playing in the footsteps of Darwin. But anyway, so this game is actually beautiful. Okay. I'd seen it uh, multiple times and I had been attracted to it because of the artwork. It has some browns and beiges as many Euro games do, but it mm-hmm, also mm-hmm. has this, you know, the old style I guess journals but I'm thinking of like the books that we now kind of often have as table books that have like the botanicals and the, the kind of like audubon look yes that's it okay. very audubon um, so it has like this beautiful board that's the ocean and it has a um, map and it has all these spaces where you're going to put tiles down and the map is like a beautiful teal color and it has um, these lovely little cards and these tiles, which is really, which are really the showpiece, these beautiful tiles, which each one represents uh, an Audubon-y type mm-hmm. species. So it has like birds or creatures or flora, flora fauna, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you're basically laying down these lovely tiles on the board as the game is going on. And the way that the game works is that, again, it's a very Euro game, so the theme is light. <laughs> I don't need you to pretend to care about that for me. I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> Sort of, I guess I would call it a little bit of an engine builder. You get resources by placing your little cubes on tiles that are already laid out on the board. And this is supposed to represent research. Okay, whatever. Each tile gets you these resources and then you use these resources to buy more tiles and you're laying more tiles. And meanwhile, Darwin's little boat, the Beagle, is just kind of moving along the board and it's kind of a timekeeper. And at three points during the game, the Beagle arrives at destinations that make it a scoring opportunity. When you start the game, there have been three cards that were drawn at random 
that represent these three scoring opportunities. And mm-hmm. so this is how you know what your goals are, what tiles you're going to lay, what resources you're trying to collect, et cetera. Because at those three points in the game, hopefully you've accumulated the most of, you know, whatever is the goal. Okay. I know I just said I don't care about this, but this sounds like it has shockingly little to do with Charles Darwin and his book on the origin of species. Oh, yeah. No, this is supposed <laughs> to be about his journey to the Galapagos, and it's like very just barely there. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's mostly a beautiful board. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm fine. Um, Yes, exactly. I'm okay. I would say the production is the best part. I mean, the production is lovely. The mm-hmm. board, like I said, I wish I could show it to everyone, but it's beautiful. I kind of picked it up because I found it basically at a discount bin type situation. And I was like, oh, I've always been curious about this and took it home. The gameplay is like kind of underwhelming. It's okay. It's just very Eurogamey. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's really outstanding about it is the artwork. I got to say, as you were describing it, all I was thinking was, this sounds like every game I've ever played. It sounds exactly like every game I've ever played. And in fact, yeah. if it didn't have these lovely little birds and plants and things like that, there would be nothing keeping me interested. Man, this is what kind of sucks about beautifully produced games, mm-hmm. is that they're so hard to get rid of. Yeah. Yes. Right, because this sounds like it's a game that you would have already sort of sent on its way. Yeah, totally. If it weren't so lovely. If this game was, theme doesn't matter, so imagine that like the artwork was like the artwork of Blood Rage, Blood which Rage. I'm not intrinsically attracted to the artwork <laughs> of Blood Rage. That's crazy, why not? If it was that, yeah. then I would be like, no, there's nothing for me here because I'm neither like stimulated by the gameplay itself nor mm-hmm. the artwork. Mm-hmm. But I've told myself I'm going to put it on the out pile so many times and it's still on my shelf and I don't uh, know what's going to happen. I have this problem with Unearth. Oh, yes. I've heard you talk about this, but save, save more for the people who don't know what you're talking about. Unearth is this, I think, very gorgeous game that has all of these what's called isometric illustrations of of sort of fantasy ruins, geometric vector drawings, uh, masterclass in color theory. They are so beautiful. And once a year, I try to convince myself that I like that game (laughs) because I don't want to get rid of it because it looks so awesome. And it's fine. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have any arc. There is no engine to build. It's just, you just sort of play until it ends. I would not still have it Mm -hmm. if it didn't look so gorgeous. Yeah, I've seen it. So so you've posted about this before. So people can actually look at your post on Instagram and see photos. Oh, hey, it's great on Instagram. I mean, it is like exactly the kind of game you want to do a post about. It looks awesome. Yeah, absolutely. It's like all those beautiful (laughs) saturated colors. You know, I wonder sometimes if we're part of the problem in that a lot of games now seem to be tailored to be attractive to content creators. Oh, definitely. To look good in photos or in TikToks or whatever. And and that is very different than a game that is fun to play. Ideally, what you're looking for is both, right? Like you want a game that's like beautifully produced. Like, I mean, the thing about the On the Origin of Darwin is that the tiles, they're so solid and lovely the the linen finish on everything is is just impeccable um the board like i said is beautiful the details are there but what happened to the details about the gameplay (laughs) absolutely and obviously i i care about both of these things right i care about the content and the production i'm a graphic designer i like things to look pretty and i think that the purpose of that of good interface design isn't just that it's aesthetically pleasing but that it makes it easier to use that thing Mm -hmm. but Ultimately, I am happy to play Clank any night of the week, even though it looks awful. (laughs) It doesn't look awful, but it doesn't look good. It's it's a trashy looking game, Mm -hmm. you know, and I I don't really care. 
there are a lot of games that I have never gotten around to playing because they look bad. I feel like what you really need those aesthetics for is to get you in the door. Mm -hmm. But after that, what really matters is the gameplay, Mm -hmm. right? You'll play a game that's ugly Mm -hmm. if it's really fun. Yeah. And you will not play a game that's beautiful that isn't any fun. Yep. Okay. So with that in mind, what is your Mm. next game? So both of my games are games that I quite like. Hmm twist yeah love blood rage just don't really want to play it out here alone Mm -hmm. and i've only gotten through half a game of forgotten waters oh but i loved it it was great okay so forgotten waters is a lightweight cooperative choose your own adventure sort of game three to seven players in theory Mm. but you want to be in the higher end of that Mm. plays in about four hours which is why i've gotten through half of it you can split it up into two hour chunks So I had a bunch of friends over for a game night. We were going so hard at this game night that everybody slept over (gasps) in my studio apartment. Oh my gosh. Like as though we were teenagers again. People brought cots (gasps) and mattresses and we just like filled the floor. Oh my God. So we'd been playing games all day and then we were like all pretty tired, but we were like, let's let's get one more in. (laughs) And we played Forgotten Waters, which is this game in which all the players are Uh, members of a pirate crew and you're going to jointly crew a pirate ship that sort of sails around and attempts to complete missions while also resolving some sort of plot points and side quests gameplay is very light the only real mechanism in it is this real-time action selection where you get to a port city and there's a list of things you can do there and then it's like go and everybody tries to get their guy on the action they want to do before someone else does okay Um, And you do have these, it's cooperative, but you might have, you do have like private goals. So you might be trying to do something that is vexing to your crewmates, but you're still crewmates, you know? And this game has uh, a website, which is better than an app. Mm. I mean, if you've got to do one of those two things, I am really generally not sold on digital apps, websites, whatever Mm -hmm. for board games. I'm not morally opposed to it. I'm just yet to have a experience with it where I was like, this is as much fun as not having a screen here and just looking at my friends. But in this, and I don't know, maybe it's because it was cooperative. It worked. You, there's this website that's sort of doing the storytelling and then you've got this book of maps and a board of the ocean and you're sailing around and fighting off foes and trying to sort of find plot points. And again, choose your own adventure. So you're, you get this series of branching decisions. Mm-hmm. Really fun. I am hesitant to say this to you, but I think the voice acting is pretty good. Okay. So I didn't know that about Forgotten Waters, but I have heard that about the sequel um, Freelancers. I'm yeah. very, ugh, I'm a little worried about where does going to go although i have an idea but um i i've been very interested specifically in in the sequel um and one of the reasons is because i've heard the voiceover is really really good and yeah i'm intrigued i mean look when people tell me a game has great graphic design i i look at that game and think it has you know serviceable graphic design (laughs) i have a feeling that's how you're going to feel about the voice acting in in this game but it is way better than what you expect as a board gamer yeah right if you've played any board games with apps this is better than you expect makes sense and the writing is funny Mm -hmm. like it is a funny game the plotting is good it was cool we were really having a good time and then we just got too tired and Mm. it was like you know wee hours and we just had to go to sleep Mm -hmm. we were like all right we'll get up we'll get bagels in the morning we'll we'll finish this Mm -hmm. but then we got up and got bagels and we wanted to play some other games and so we played other games instead Mm. 
And this is the thing about this. The box says you can't even do it with less than three, right? So, mm-hmm, so there's mm-hmm. no doing this with just your partner or spouse. And three is not really what you want. You want like five mm. players for this game mm-hmm. because everybody has a different role on the ship. Someone's the gunner, someone's the bosun, some, you know, whatever, mm-hmm, you know? And, mm-hmm. and it's just like more fun if you have these different roles filled and everybody's working together, trying to create a coherent machine together. Mm-hmm. If you are lucky enough... To get that many friends together who not only want to play a game with you, but want to play like a really ridiculous game where people on the computer are making pirate voices at you mm-hmm. while you, you know, do a choose your own adventure. Are you really going to spend four hours playing this game? Like, no, you. there's so many games you want to play. Yeah, Four hours is too big a commitment for something this light mm-hmm. and, and silly. And that's not to say that I don't think it's worth it. I would love to play more of this game. I really, really liked it. It was super fun. And I think like we all had a great time and we would all have a great time if we kept playing it. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And that's hard to accept. Mm-hmm. You know, like this, there's this thing that I want to do that would be fun that everyone would have fun. And it like, I'm just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So hard for me to accept. In fact, that like you, I like really want freelancers mm-hmm. as much as I love pirate stuff that like adventure time themed D and D campaign stuff mm-hmm. of freelancers. Like that's very up my alley. Mm-hmm, that that mm-hmm. sounds awesome to me. I love the aesthetic. I like the art in freelancers much better than the art in forgotten waters, forgotten waters which is kind of generic digital painting fantasy pirate whatever yeah i agree i like the artwork and freelancers a lot yeah and i have almost bought it like six times and i have to keep being like canon <laughs> guilty <laughs> you've played half a game of forgotten waters like you are not gonna play this it doesn't matter how much it appeals to you it doesn't matter how much fun it looks like it's just not gonna happen right mm-hmm. and so i uh, trying to accept that i will still have fun doing other things if i don't get to play that particular game Uh, but it's annoying i want to play that game and i want to play forgotten waters it's super fun so yeah i i i hear you because i i mean i don't have forgotten waters and and i probably wouldn't have been uh, seduced by that one because the art just didn't attract me (laughs) but i Mm -hmm. have been almost drawn in to freelancers so many times and the only reason I Mm -hmm. haven't bought it is that I know you have to have at least a third person and I'm like who is the third person it's so specific Mm -hmm. there's so much specificity to the experience the play the use case right yes yeah that it makes it really hard here's the thing I can't speak to freelancers but the thing about Forgotten Waters is this is a game for people with kids and a lot of hours to fill Mm. if you had preteen kids during the pandemic and you were stuck at home, like this would have been a great mm-hmm. game. You could have done a bunch of campaigns, right? Or like mm-hmm. if you are someone who is home with your kids a lot uh, and all those hours for whatever reason aren't already spoken for by like field hockey practice or whatever. Also like wintertime. I mean, yep. my kid isn't that age yet, but like as a parent at right now, I feel like I'm desperately like, what do I entertain him with now that it's so freezing cold outside? Absolutely. Because um, we can't be at the playground all day long. And it's like, yeah, if somebody was like, here's a box of hours yes. of fun for you and your kid and i yes. think it would be awesome great for that i should i should put in the caveat that there's a couple like grisly details in this story so you have to know your kid but that's not our lives we don't have people yeah. we're already spending time with and we need fun activities to do you know what's so funny about that you know like hearing you say it it's like i i'm in the same boat you know i don't have that ready. like that is not at the ready yeah. for me however in a weird way That's part of what makes the fantasy so vivid and appealing and like, absolutely. and it's like why it has such a hold, you know, like 
why did I get Azul or why? It's like I pictured all these things that I was like, I could have this. This could be my Friday night this week or this could be my summer trip with my family. You know, I don't have uh, five people just ready to play freelancers with me. But if I got them together, it would be so awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yeah, that's what makes it, I think, yes. have such power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the thing is, I remember living in an apartment with a bunch of my friends and not having to schedule time with them. We were just always hanging out because we were hanging out. And what I don't remember when I think about those times is like arguments about whose turn it was to clean the kitchen. I just remember <laughs> hanging out with my friends all the time. Yeah. My 40s are, in almost every regard, superior to my 20s. I would not go back. But I do really miss having all my friends of around. Course. That is huge. And it just becomes more and more of an administrative task to spend time with the people you love as you get older. Absolutely. And so, yeah, you have that dream very concretely in your head of, like, mm-hmm. having that kind of free time with your buds. And, like, realistically, mm-hmm. if you've got four hours with your friends, that's not what you would do with them. Mm-hmm. All right, I am just going to press the fanfare button here on the soundboard. <laughs> We get a different fanfare every time. This soundboard rules. Yeah, this one kind of sounded like a squawky bird. <laughs> it is time for the segment formerly known as the Rabble Round. <laughs> yeah, it's a fanfare as played by a cartoon bird. Yes, exactly. You pull on its tail. Yeah, you know? and it's like. Right. And we're like anthropomorphic foxes or something. In this, exactly. Uh, That's perfect. Yeah. Okay, so before I dive into this, mm. I have a very important thing I need to address to the uh, rabble. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I lied. It's time for some accountability. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, folks, I'm going to tell you that um, at our last episode, mm. <clears throat> I made a really big mistake. Okay. I talked about cribbage and my in laws and everyone teaching me trick taking games, and I basically said cribbage was a trick-taking game you know i just want to take this time to apologize to everyone for the mistake of calling cribbage a trick-taking game because it is not a trick-taking game it is a trick-turning game and so i'm very sorry to everyone Just kidding. I'm sorry. It's not a trick turning game. It's it's just a racing Wait, game. Is okay? that a thing? It's just a racing game. Just a joke? No, it's not a thing. Come on. <sighs> of course, it's not a thing. I mean, maybe if the world's about to end, that's the kind of game you play. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, no, sorry. This is serious. Yeah. I apologize to my family mm. who taught me trick taking games, mm. whom I've completely embarrassed. I apologize to my husband and my child because what kind of mother am I? You know, that I said cribbage was a trick taking game. Guys, I'm going to try to do better. I want to take accountability. I want to live up to my mistakes. Mm. And I'm sorry. And I hope that you can accept me just the way my family is choosing to accept me oh. at this trying time. So so your family is standing by you? My family is standing by me. You know, they are oh. they are such good people mm. and I appreciate it. All right, Rabble, I don't know. Are we are we feeling sincere remorse? Do we sense growth? Do we think Alba's going to do better? Let us know. You'll be the judge. My fate is in your hands. <laughs> 
Okay. <clears throat> so for the time being, you are, uh, do I gather correctly that you are not stepping down as the voice of the peasants? <laughs> I am not currently stepping down as the voice of the peasants, but I guess the peasants shall speak mm. and they shall let me know mm. if I have right. lost their trust. All right. We will see. But for this <laughs> week, at least, you've still got your job. That's right. For this week. Now, this is still the rabble round. Mm. We are also going to be sometimes calling it, I'm going to be sometimes calling it, the chusma round, mm. the voice of the chusma, because in Spanish, that is the rabble. Mm. So, chusma, listen up. This week's question was, what's a game you regret buying and why? Mm. We got a lot, a lot of answers. <laughs> so, so many answers. answers. <laughs> but that's awesome. Like, we really appreciate that. It's so cool. And since we are now getting way more answers, we are not going to talk about all of them like we have in the past. We'll list everything. We'll start putting those in our stories every week so that once the episode is aired, you can actually go and see, you know, all the stuff that we weren't able to include. Mm. So, uh, one of the ones that, uh, Kenan, you, you seem to have some thoughts about is The Boys, which Julia Gulia shared. I don't actually even know what this game is, but she said, I love the IP and enjoyed the demo at Gen Con, but in actual play, it was way too long. Yeah, so I, I mean, I've, I've seen The Boys TV show. I'm, I'm aware of the comic, although I haven't read it. I just want to say I've been, you know, I've learned my lesson to not discount IP games out of hand. Mm. But I think... You should be suspicious of any game with an IP you like. Because, <laughs> like, you're vulnerable to that game's trickery. Yep. So I haven't played this game. I have no idea uh, how I would feel about it. I'm just saying I know that Dune Imperium is a good game counter to what some co-hosts might say. <laughs> because I don't particularly care about the IP and I really enjoy the game. Mm -hmm. When someone shows you an IP you love, it's like, are they trying to manipulate me? Are they trying to get one over on me? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Just approach with an extra degree of caution. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I think you're you're right about that. <laughs> so your friend Mayel says not Clank, which is funny because she's always about the Clank. She answers Clank for every question. <laughs> for every question. The other reason this is funny is that Mayel does not own Clank, so she couldn't possibly regret purchasing it. <laughs> she comes over and plays my copy of Clank. Oh, you're her Dale. I'm her Dale. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Love that for me. <laughs> um, okay, so our friend Rolling Reggie says Copenhagen Deluxe. The reason being it's too big and too pricey for how light it is, and Kickstarter was super delayed. Yeah. Uh, isn't that the story for so many Kickstarters? Yeah. First of all, shout out to Reggie. Hey. Reggie taught us to play uh, Res Arcana the other night. It was awesome. Pew, 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 pew. Cool dude. Follow him. I don't actually mind when Kickstarters are delayed. I'm usually grateful that I have a little extra time to find room for whatever stupid thing I bought in my house. But the bloat, yeah. the sort of just like overproduction and bigness, I think is real. And people keep trying to sell us the same games over and over again in mm -hmm. ever more grandiose packaging. You know, it worked for Awakened Realms with uh, Castles of Burgundy. But too big and too pricey is a common complaint for a lot of Kickstarters. Yeah. Not all, but it is. Look, we all love beautiful games, but the production needs to suit the gameplay, right? And for abstract point salad games, like how grandiose do you need the production to be? What you want is for it to be usable and portable and playable. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Our friend Dana said Coatl, mm. and I want to say that I just bought Coatl, and so I'm very sad to hear this, Dana. Uh, you're going to have to tell. She didn't tell us why she, she felt not. this way, so we're going to have to like have that conversation with her offline, but that kind of hurts my heart because I, I have that one. Shout out to Dana. She is smart and cool. Some of our friends, we see you. We see you giving us both different answers, trying to double your chances of getting into the rabble round. <laughs> we respect the hustle. It's fine. Dana, 
having a scientific mind has one up to you by giving us each three answers. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so she's she's going to make multiple appearances here. And if you're jealous, work harder. All right. That's that's what it comes down to. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Now, Hobby Mule said Dinosaur Island. They said too much admin, not enough dinos eating people. I like I don't know why I just like that. Yeah. And I prefer Ravensburger, Ravensburger uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah, I have dinosaur. I just said that so weird. Ravensburger Jurassic Park. <laughs> Those words shouldn't be in sequence. It's too hard. Go easy on us. I feel like I said it like I was like in the Gilded Age. I'm just like Ravensburger Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's Ravensburger Jurassic Park. Shay. Too much admin, not enough dinos eating people. And then Audrey Hepburn comes in and is like, I prefer Ravensburger Jurassic Park, yeah. personally. <laughs> exactly. Um, I have Dinosaur World, which is the follow-up to this, and mm. the same is true of it. Mm. I like it. It is a good park management game, but it's got so many fussy little bits, and it is just at no point do you feel like the majesty mm-hmm. of having brought terrible lizards back from the dead. It's, it's, yep. It could be about an amusement park. It would be the exact same game. Ah, yes. The danger represented by the dinosaurs is a track. Mm. You have a death track and you're like, oh, I moved up two spaces on the death track. It's, it's fine. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like scary. Yeah, it's not like someone <laughs> yeah. got eaten. Yeah. So I am with Hobby Mule on this one. I don't think we have any thoughts particularly about this, but I just want to read this since the people love Sam. Oh. He might overtake me as the voice of the people. Um, <laughs> Sam the Kuma said, Epic seven arise it's the worst game i've ever bought or backed it's like they never even play tested it <laughs> Oof. you know it is true if you had done your apologia last week yeah everyone would have been like we love her but we don't care she's the, yeah. she's the voice of the people no. but now they've met sam you've got to run for your money yeah no yeah. if this was an election sam would just like he would be kicking in the dust you, you don't want the election <laughs> to be held today i'll say that much no i don't no. you better <laughs> hope don't. sam has a major slip up between now and the election day <laughs> Okay, this is also funny. We so our friend Tara, Tara's tabletop is her handle, said flamecraft, laugh cry emoji, you know why. <laughs> I, so good. I do know why. Um Tara hates flamecraft. Ooh. Tara feels that it is very repetitive that you sort of do the same thing all game, which I I think is, mm-hmm. is probably right. We have a joke that a Tara hate is a Kenan it's fine and this is this is an instance of that this is a, a game that I think is fine yeah I probably won't hold on to it forever but I'm not like mad about having bought it but I'm yeah. not surprised that Tara is makes sense also we have a few people who mentioned Gloomhaven but obsessed with board games said specifically playing it digitally was a much better experience for us I think a lot of people relate to that yeah so the aforementioned Dale really helped us through the pandemic by every Friday night he would steal all of his family members iPhones and iPads and give us like six different views on Gloomhaven and we would play his physical version of Gloomhaven together. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was a great way through the pandemic, but he had to do all of the admin because he was the only person there with the physical components. Mm-hmm. After that, he started playing it digitally and he was like, well, I am never playing this game physically again. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think Gloomhaven is essentially a video game and you are the processor, right? Like you mm-hmm. you execute the algorithms and that's cool. It's cool to see how the sort of inner workings of the machine operate, but also once you've got a handle on it, it's just sort of drudgery and I can see that it would be very nice to have the computer take care of all of that for you. Yeah. Speaking of drudgery, uh, Great Western Trail, John from the Meeple Versus said, bought it intending to play solo, but the setup was way too much. 
This is, I think, really relatable and a common problem. Yes. Just, I find yes. it's like, I'm going to play this solo, and then I just can't find the energy to actually do all the admin. Setup time is the number one determiner of whether or not I'm going to play a game solo. Mm-hmm. And I know like a lot of our friends who are dedicated solo gamers are you know, willing to yep. put that time in and, and love a big immersive solo game. Mm-hmm. I always think I want to play a big immersive solo game, and I am mm-hmm. just not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not no. going to set that up for myself. Same. Yeah. Hear that. Similar, Diogo of Bear With Meeples said Imperium Legends Classics. He mm. also said solo and rules are hard work. Deck building puzzles seemed too linear, not for us. This is interesting to me because a lot of people really love this. I and mean, actually, um, Play It Solo was just talking about this. One. I think this is one of their favorite games. And yeah. they were recommending that I look up uh, Ricky Royal's video on this because it would help. Yeah, that's good to know because I have not played my copy of this because I am so scared of the rule book. But um, our friend and Diogo's Lucy, uh, Diary of a Board Game Girl, loves this game, has played it solo a ton. So I, I think you're right that the jury is hung on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone seems to agree that the rule book is awful. Yes, I've definitely heard that time and time again. Zashun from Board and Shield said Oath, and then he just has melty face. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone probably knows what that means. I don't know what Zashun's reasons are, but if we didn't have the rule that we had to have played the game, this would have been at the top of my list. Yeah. I want to play this game so badly. But by all accounts, it's not only a game that you need a group for, but it's a game that you need a group to play, what, six or seven times to Mm -hmm. really like experience it. I was really thinking about this game when you were talking about um, Forgotten Waters, just just because of the specificity of, you know, how many people you need and who you need and how it needs to be the same people. And you can't, you know, it's like because it is sort of a living game. This seems like so much my kind of game. Like I am so fascinated by the concept of it. I really, really, really want to play it but just like me too if i had a gaming group that was going to meet seven times within a reasonable period of time would we only play one game with all the games we want to play no Mm, it's not what we would do so yeah it just i don't need it i'm not even saying like i regret buying it i like supporting interesting projects and and ambitious designs but i just it's here yeah i had it in brooklyn i moved it to california i don't i don't need this box i'm not doing anything with it ah i'm in the same boat um seventh continent says malfas of good games (laughs) expensive but not fun first of all malfas rules I think this game is so fascinating and cool and I never play it. Mm. Part of it is this thing that we were talking about is that it's a it's a solo game with a lot of admin. Part of it is that what's cool about it is the subtlety of the storytelling. It's very much like Myst or those old kind of point and click computer games mm-hmm. or even even like the pre-visual ones like Zork. Like it has this like what happened here kind of mystery to it and you're exploring this very large map and trying to figure out like what has gone on and there's all these little details in the art and in the storytelling Mm-hmm. so cool narratively like such a cool experimental narrative project the gameplay is kind of a slog it is really punishing mm. and so the mechanisms that give you access to this very interesting subtle storytelling are not that much fun but I don't like I don't want to get rid of it because I am so fascinated by it and I keep thinking I'm gonna like sit down and like work my way through the story mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know I'm I'm 50% on this one I don't know if I agree or disagree but I, I see his point <laughs> super skill pinball four sorry super skill 
I can say this, super scale pinball for <laughs> super scale pinball 4K. Super scale pinball 4K. Do you know what's incredible about this is that the sequel to this game is called Super Skill Pinball Ramp. <laughs> I can't do it. Super <laughs> Super Skill Pinball Colon Ramp It Up. <laughs> These games have Wowzers. the worst names in board game history. Um, I actually quite like Super Skill Pinball. I think it's I think it's well, a nice baking in board games does not, and they found it to be incredibly boring. It's interesting because I remember Tom from Shut Up and Sit Down during COVID was like Super Skill Pinball 4K is great. I think it is both boring and great. Oh, interesting. Does that make sense? So it's a a game. It's a roll and write game that models a pinball machine, and there's like four different tables in each box, and and they're not like expansions. Like you can just get whatever box. I find it to be a really fun little puzzle. You've got a little silver ball that's moving around your dry erase board and you're deciding where it falls and which flippers to hit it with and rolling dice to see which actions are available to you. And I both think it is incredibly stupid. I'm like, like, why am I doing this? You know, like, why do I, why do I want to model a pinball machine not with a pinball? Um, and like, I find it to be a very kind of like fun, calming little puzzle. I don't know. I, I like it, uh, yeah. but I don't fault anyone for not liking it. Yeah, fair enough. I can't decide from your description if it sounds interesting at all. <laughs> okay, John from the Meeple Versus says, Wingspan nesting box. So big and unwieldy, we play less now. This is actually interesting to me because it's funny that this thing that's supposed to actually like streamline your experience and like make it easier for you to get things to the table suddenly becomes this daunting thing. I have given away two of these expensive big boxes. Oh, wow. One for uh, another Stonemaier game, for Scythe, actually, mm. and one for Everdell. Interesting. Okay. Not only did I give away the big box for Scythe, but I had a, an insert for it that I had stained and done my whole thing to and made pretty. Mm. I was so, I love Scythe so much and I had all this stuff and I was like, I'm going to have all of this in one box. I got it all in there and I looked at it and I said, oh, I can never take this game anywhere. Yeah. This game just got way harder to play. And anytime I just want to like show it to someone, even if they come over here, I have to fish out the specific components for the base game, right? Because I'm not going to mm. play with all this stuff. And I was like, oh, this was stupid. This was a mistake. So I sent it to my friend Eli. It's like, here you go. Congratulations. You've got an insert and a big box for side. Because um, everyone goes to his house for game night in, in New Jersey, but um, it didn't make sense for me. Like I was living in Brooklyn at the time. I wanted a version of side I could take on the subway with me and that was not yeah. portable and then I got everything into my Everdell box and, and anyone who, who reads my posts will already be familiar with this story I was like immediately like well this sucks <laughs> this box <laughs> is way too big to store anywhere and again such a production to get anything in or out of it mm. and we realized after a couple months that we hadn't played Everdell since the big box <gasps> arrived oh wow and I was like well and I just took it all out and I put it back into like three of the smaller boxes, which take up considerably less space. And now we play Everdell again. So, yeah, I understand the desire to have a coherent mm -hmm. organizational system for these games that get a ton of mm -hmm. expansions and that start to feel unwieldy. But I actually don't think the put it all in one box thing works very well. I don't think it's really that practical. Well, that's good to know because I've never bought a big box and now I never will. Yep, there you go. OK, Sam the Kuma is back with Warp's Edge. Warp's Edge. I love space games and solo games, but it turns out I don't love bag building. Bag building and deck building are mechanically almost identical, right? They are different interfaces on almost the same underlying mechanics. The one difference being usually with bag building, 
you reset it before you've gone through all of your chits or whatever's in the bag. And usually with deck building, you don't reset it until you've gone through every card in the deck. But basically the same concept. They feel so different. The randomness of bag building, I think, feels bad in a way that I don't feel when I'm doing deck building. Hmm. If you're playing Quacks and you pull out a hand of all all cherry bombs, it feels so bad. It's so annoying. And you're like, <laughs> why do the gods hate me? And I, I don't know. That feels really different than deck building, even though it's still random what's coming up when and whether your combos work and stuff like that. So mm. I don't know. I, I have not yet played a bag builder that I can think of, so I mm. guess I don't know how I feel about it, but we'll find out soon enough. All right, and report back to us. Yeah. And finally, Whistle Mountain. Dana is back with that one. And mm. um, I, this is a game I've never played, but I think you have this game, right? I have this game. So Dana got us both. She regrets a game that each of us owns. Mm, yeah. This is what I'm saying. Put in the extra effort. You put in the extra time. You give us six entries. <laughs> you'll get results. Yeah, exactly. I am on the fence on this one. I've played it twice and had two really different experiences of it. And it, it might be the thing I was talking about last week. The first time I played it was at Dice Tower West. Mm. And it is a really interesting spatial puzzle plus worker placement game. So you're, you're building up a dam in like the American Southwest and you're flying these dirigibles to different worker placement spots. Your workers are your dirigibles. Your meeples are not your workers. <laughs> anyway, you're flying these airships to different worker placement spots. As you build up the dam, there are various resources to be found in various parts of the dam. And then you build machines onto the dam, which create an engine that enhances your actions and makes your turns bigger and more complex. It starts off very simply. And by the end of this game, your turns are like 12 minutes long. <laughs> they're like, you're doing so much and they're so complicated and you have to remember like these 19 different machines that you've put into the dam and all of these like cascading card effects that you've picked up. It is really cool. And the first time I played it, I was like so exhilarated by the arc of this game and how your turns get so much more powerful and complex and, and your machine gets so much more intricate as you go. And then the second time I played it, which was after I got it back home, I was like, like, oh, it's cool that this works. Like, this is a cool concept. But is it actually fun to take a 12-minute turn? <laughs> it's actually just really confusing by the end of the game. Like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> so I don't know. I think I would have to play it a couple more times to see if I, I'm able to get my head around it or not. I think it is a really neat concept of a game. And I may just cut all of that because what I actually want to talk about, sorry, is that I did follow up with Dana about this. Mm. And she was saying that because this game is a pretty complex worker placement Euro game, she wanted to solo it because she doesn't necessarily have players for those kind of that kind of a game. And it doesn't have a solo mode. And so she was two handing it. And it just doesn't. It's just too much. It's too, mm. It doesn't work that way. I get that it's like, I am sort of frustrated that games say that they play solo and their mm -hmm. solo mode is kind of an afterthought or kind of a hack, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I sort of respect this game for being like, well, it doesn't play solo. And at the same time, any like big complex Euro game that, that requires more than two players is like a game that is sitting on my shelf not getting played. Kate and I play heavy Euros together and then we play light, breezy, Ameritrashy games with our normal friends, you know? <laughs> so I get that. I see the frustration there. And I, I do think this is an interesting game. I don't know whether I'm going to keep it or not, but I think it's like a really interesting concept but you need the players for it and mm. it is not is not for everyone certainly mm. so that's it that is the voice of the rabble la chusma thank you for your comments there definitely were more and i just want to say that we will be putting those in our stories later yeah and a couple of you wrote in to tell us that you had no regrets no one's impressed with you <laughs> no one likes a show off 
No, I'm kidding. That's awesome. Well, I have to say, um, actually, Camping Eagle was one of the people who said he had no regrets, and I did talk to him about it, and he was like, well, um, maybe if I go into my board game closet, I might actually find some of those, but I'm not going to do that. So I was like, ignorance is bliss. Oh, no regrets as long as this door remains closed forever. Exactly. Okay. some ongoing themes through these both the ones we read and, and the ones we didn't uh, mm-hmm. which were um, heavy games that are hard to table mm-hmm. and pretty games that don't live up to their aesthetic promise yep those are the two things that we heard over and over again some variation on those two so mm-hmm. uh, something to think about as we're all as we're all shopping is mm-hmm. a am I actually gonna get to play this game or is it gonna sit there making me feel bad about myself making me feel guilty and B, Am I being lured in by its beauty? Mm-hmm. You know, or just the FOMO? Is this game a siren luring me to the rocks? I, yeah, I suspect that it is going to be harder and harder for games to win us over with looks alone. Because I think that just a few years ago, it was so rare to see a really beautifully produced board game, and now mm-hmm. there's a ton of them. And I have a feeling that I don't even care what that game is like. I'm just going to buy it because it's so beautiful. I think that's going to be a, less of a compelling pitch to a lot of us than it than it was. Yeah. Just you know, a couple years ago. I, I think that might be true. I hope it's true. Anything else, like anything else that we should be asking ourselves before we buy a game? Should we have a checklist? Should we have a list of criteria a game should meet before we buy it? Or should we just accept that we're going to buy some that are misses or that we don't get to play and that that's sort of part of the cost of doing business? Oh, you know, I feel like the right answer is yes, you should have a checklist and you should be a good citizen and you should be really financially, fiscally responsible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but... I don't know. I mean, I think it's really hard because I think this is so tied, for me at least, to this, the fantasies we were talking about and the yeah. the things we dream about. And so it's really tough when you're like having these daydreams about what's going to happen to, it doesn't feel fun to shut that down, you know? No. It's like, oh, okay, let me, let me be not fun. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know. I'm a little torn. It's like, I know the right answer, but am I really going to change my behavior? I mean, I maybe somewhere in the middle. That's just it. You can, you can sort of know what the responsible way to go about this would be. And that's t- entirely different from doing it. But one thing that I have done sometimes that has helped is to try to actually plan the event that I have in mind for this mm. game before buying it. That's clever. So I had friends who love heist movies and I saw Burgle Bros and I was like, mm. hey, would you like to come over and play this game? And they were like, oh, that looks awesome. Like, we would love to do that sometime. You know, we're busy. for. And I was like, this isn't going to happen. Right. And I didn't buy it. And if at any point they are like, hey, <laughs> we're visiting California. Yeah. We want to play that game you mentioned. I'll buy it. I'll buy it right away. Yeah. I don't need it until then. Mm-hmm. The fact that there are these games sitting on our shelves or sitting in storage or wherever that we want to play but aren't playing yet means not even that we that we shouldn't own those games but that we didn't need to buy them at the moment in time when we bought them we could have waited until so true and then some half of those you're going to decide you didn't actually need and the rest of them you're going to decide you did need Mm -hmm. get them later it'll be fine Mm -hmm. the other thing is that and this is just just so much easier said than done but for me at least and this goes back to all the purchasing i did during the pandemic The antidote to buying games is playing games. Yes. The more I am actually playing games, the less I feel the need to shop. It's weird. 
but that's how it is. When I go to a convention, I always bring only a carry-on and I bring a duffel bag in the carry-on. And this is my system for limiting how much stuff I can bring home. Mm -hmm. At Dice Tower West, which I've talked about, where I just played games for four straight days, I did not buy a single thing. Awesome. It's not because I was feeling particularly virtuous. It's, I didn't need more stuff. I was doing the thing I wanted, which was mm -hmm. I'd already reached the end point that we are trying to get towards when we buy games, which is I was just playing games. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if there's any way to put that energy into like going to a meetup or, you know, like finding a, a group or something like I think that is worth its weight in board games. Yep. You couldn't have said it better. Do you want to do challenges? I have a challenge. Okay. My challenge would be to get one of the games you feel you could actually play with your family to the table mm -hmm. over the holidays. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that is the challenge for me, for you, and for our listeners. Yes. Yeah. I like it. And you know, of a you this time can be like, hey, I need to do this for the podcast. Can anyone help me out? <laughs> yes, you know? exactly. And everyone's going to be like, oh. Oh, guys, I have a job. You have to help me with my job, okay? Job. Yeah. Job. And you know what? The rest of you, you can all say that. Yes. You can all say, it's like my homework. I need to play this game for the podcast. Can anyone help me out with this project? <laughs> yes. Anyone has any questions about it, you send them to me. Love it. Do it for the pod. Do it for the pod. <laughs> All right, and I think that's about it for this episode. Uh, if you want to join the Rabble Round, the Choose Me Chatter, mm -hmm. or just say hi, find us on Instagram. Alba is, of course, Meeples and Beninis. I am Punchboard Cathedral. Otherwise, you'll hear from us again in a couple weeks. Until then, ramble on, you know we will. <laughs> <laughs>